This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. I was talking to them about buying it. They had a piece that they had on their wall for two years. And I was telling them, listen, you can't have something on your wall for two years. It's it's not good. And I'm like, so, you know, would you ever, and I always ask the question, would you rebuy this if, the, if you sold it today? Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Managing music product inventory isn't just buying and selling and stocking what you can sell, it's also managing what you can't sell. Ever wonder how some retailers seem to master the art of keeping inventory fresh and quickly turning it into cash and profits? then you're in for a treat with this episode, because today I'm talking to a duo. First, with Alan Friedman, CPA and co-founder. Alan has over 40 years of accounting, tax, and consulting experience in the music industry, as well as an instructor with Yamaha and Harley-Davidson. He plays by ear, and in his spare time, Alan can be found recording in his basement studio or playing guitar in the all-CPA band, The Accounting Crows. But I'm bumped. Next, I'm joined by Daniel Job. Managing Director with the accounting firm of Friedman, Cannonberg & Company. Daniel and his firm have extensive experience in providing accounting, tax, business evaluation, and other consulting services to the music industry. And he is a classically trained trombonist who refuses to join Alan's band. <laughs> In his spare time, he enjoys hitting golf balls and spending time with his family, visiting all 30 MLB baseball parks. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Hi there, Bob. Bob. Thanks for joining me today. So have the rules about buying merchandise changed since the pandemic? Who wants to take that? I'll jump in first with that one because <laughs> it's it's crazy. Um, you know, what was like when I first ran into Alan and probably Alan was like 1999 or 2000 at the NAMM show, he probably then used that presentation on the buying rules and managing your inventory literally till 2019. I mean, it probably ran for 20 years. And what we've seen, Bob, is what's crazy is that it's actually that the cycle of doing um, the cycle of instruments and um, um, and, and of buying inventory has changed dramatically. And it's changing frequently, even like to this, the last quarter, I was just talking to somebody in this last quarter, and it seems like things are changing again. Alan and I were talking about inventory uh, supply chain this morning and how it just is so unpredictable. So I think the buying rules are similar, but the, the main changing variable that we've seen and that we keep seeing is nothing more than what's going on with the supplier side and this kind of kind of that supply pipeline. That's really what's changed. Don't you agree, Alan, something like that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, Daniel and I always believed, as most inventory management professionals would tell you, that you want to keep your inventory levels, you know, lean and mean. You want to have obviously enough product in stock where you're always, you're not going to miss sales and, and uh, you're going to make a decent profit. While at the same time, you don't want to have too much inventory in stock that's going to tie up, you know, valuable uh, working capital or possibly limited working capital and cash and, and borrowing ability. So it, it's truly, it's a balancing act. And so, you know, the answer is to understand it um, and, analyze it and, and be able to keep these levels of inventory sufficient, you know, not too much, not, you know, it's like the, the, the porridge and the three bears, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. Uh, what do I do with that? Well, we've had, Daniel and I've had <clears throat> a lot of discussion 
uh, about that very topic. At the, at the end of every accounting engagement that we do when we generate their financial statements and tax returns for all of our music retailing clients, um, uh, Daniel's really good about always sitting down with the music store owners and walking through the financials and teaching them how to read them, how to understand what they say, how to have some insight as to what um, uh, what those financials are telling us, whether it be you know looking at inventory turns or looking at margins or looking at what we call GMROI, gross margin return on investment, and and so you know we're we're all about educating all of our clients, and so yeah, keeping inventory levels mean and lean was great until the pandemic happened. Um, and then you couldn't get product. And really, those clients that were over inventoried actually did pretty good because they had product that others didn't have. And so that basically threw out, you know, decades of advice out the window during a pandemic. But with that being said, just like Daniel said, there's an unpredictability about, you know, product when it's going to, you know, when it's going to come in. Um, you can order something that you think is scheduled for, you know, six to 12 months out, all of a sudden it shows up um, by, because the manufacturer got caught up on, on all their uh, manufacturing of product um, sooner because a lot of the retailers were doing things like ordering from when they could. They were, you know, basically, um, you know, ordering from multiple suppliers where they could. Some product you can't. Um, so it's like, as Daniel always says, it, it was it was a pendulum. And the funny thing about pendulums, when they swing one way at the beginning of a pandemic, chances are they're going to swing back equally the other way. And that's exactly what happened. We saw all many of our retailers with way too much inventory in the last year or so, because all of a sudden those orders got fulfilled. And then things that um, you know they hadn't counted on all of a sudden came in in greater amounts. And it, it just... It, it, right. it came in at, in at inopportune time. So um, I, my last comment, I'm going to turn it over to Daniel because I know he'll have something to say about this. I, it, what I've concluded in my mind going forward is that, yeah, you have to keep inventory levels lean and mean. It's probably to your advantage if you're going to swing one way or the other to probably keep more on hand than less on hand in the event another pesky virus shows up. But the only retailers who can do that are ones that are financially well run. They're fiscally responsible where they can have extra monies and financial resources tied up in arguably an, an overage of inventory. Uh, those who are yeah. struggling can't do that. Yeah, and let me let me just throw in on that, Bob, is that if there are a series of words that I use on a regular basis is when people are calling me with these same questions that you're pushing us on. And, and, and here's the answer I give them, have a plan. It's amazing how many people don't have a plan because everybody right now are, uh, not, for the most part, they're making assumptions that either the supply chain is going to be a problem again, while at the same time, they're also making an assumption that sales are going to continue at the level they did during um, during the pandemic. And I think as we're now, I don't know if we're ever going to be over completely over the pandemic, but let's say we're a year and a half arguably removed past the worst parts of the pandemic. I think we've seen that supply chain is definitely no longer a problem because now all the manufacturers are sitting on a glut of product they're trying to shove at the retailers. 
but also the sales are declining. When you look at some of the numbers in the industry, the sales are on the decline. So resting on those two assumptions that supply chain is going to be a problem, so I better order more. And I also need to order more because sales are going to continue. I think that's a rough way to rough place to be. And that's why I tell people, well, if you're going to order a bunch of stuff, you better have a plan. You need to have a plan for this. You need to have a plan for that. What is your plan if you're going to order all of that inventory? Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple of things pop out that uh, I think the supply chain, you know, I think it has fixed. I think we are settling into 2018, 2019 in a lot of ways. I think music retailers, I think a lot of disposable purchases, whether it's home electronics or furniture, we stole demand from the future is what we did. Yep. And then had a once mm-hmm. in a lifetime mm-hmm. uh, boom and everybody's like, oh, it's the new normal. And so you'd hire anyone you could. This is my <laughs> chance to, to share a little bit. You hire anyone you could. And if you had it in stock, they were an amazing salesperson. They're the bomb. They're great. But the problem with that is is they have no sales skills. And so it was really just one step from e-com. And now all these suppliers who uh, were also drinking the Kool-Aid, like it's a new world. Everyone wants guitars and xylophones and everything else. Great. But now they're sitting on merch and now they're going to start saying, oh, I can make you a special deal, Daniel. Take this off my hands. And I think that's the road to ruin as well because you've been in this lack mentality now there's abundance and now some guys like hey we've got the answer and i think a lot of people get tricked into hearing the sirens call on that i mean um is there a way to navigate uh between that temptation oh but i could get it i mean our margin be so great to your point if you don't have a plan what the hell are you going to do with all of these right right so what does we still do because that's what's going to happen if it hasn't already started that's what's going to happen and the thing, Bob, we always start those conversations off. You you hate to think about the end, but you know what do they tell you if you start a business? The, the the best time to prepare for your exit for a business is the day that you start your business, right? So that's what they start. So we say the same thing. If you're going to make a purchase of inventory, you need to make the purchase with the thought of when you're going to sell it in mind. And if you don't have a plan to sell it, you what ends up happening is 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 musical products for the most part are not an appreciating asset their value is not going to go up i mean you talk to steinway dealers and steinway pianos you know continue to go up in volume and there's 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 exceptions to every rule as we know so there are items that are appreciated but generally speaking when you're talking capos and picks and guitars and drumheads and those are, are, are later down the road if if things don't work out they're being sold for 50 cents on the cost dollar and uh, you know it's 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 crazy. I had a I had a person once I was on site, and I was talking to them about inventory management. Well, for two years, it's it's not good. And I'm like, so you know, would you? Ever, and I always ask the question, would you rebuy this if the if you sold it today? And they said, well, probably. And I'm like, okay, well then just keep that one. But if you're not going to rebuy it, I said, you know, you probably should sell it. When you fast forward a year, Bob, the guy ends up calling me. He says, I ended up selling all my inventory. He said, I sold the whole lot of my inventory for 60 cents on the cost dollar. He goes, if I would have listened to you and I would have sold that even for the dollar. He didn't want to discount it down to cost, but he sold his whole lot of inventory at 60 cents on the cost dollar. And it was like, listen, this is why inventory and purchasing and having a plan to what do with your inventory. And even if it doesn't go according to plan, get out of that plan sooner than later because you're not going to get it on the backside. You're really not. That's a great story. That's we, as I, to me, you know, people say, isn't it sad when you see a business go out of business? And I said, you know what drives me nuts is the business is full of merchandise. 
Yeah. This was not a person that understood retail. And they still had their little cla- their little clear plastic somethings holding whatever the item was, however big or small, that it discolored, might have had a uh, shop worn or something else, but it was too precious. Someone will walk in, it's like, no, they won't. And if they did, they'd be on eBay anyway. So uh, good. Well, thanks for that, Daniel. Alan, what is your rule of thumb for buying inventory? Explain this for so, all of us who don't understand okay. what that means. We can't just say, pretty, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty. It's pretty easy. Um, I came up with this several years ago. It just it, I worked it out mathematically, and it, it. I wanted to have something that um, when when I speak, Daniel and I speak in front of, as you know, at, at Nam a few hundred people at a time, and uh, and you know I wanted to leave them with something that would just resonate with them in their head. They wouldn't have to write it down. That that, that when they got on the show floor, that they could apply this principle, if you will, uh, of buying and to know not only to answer themselves as to whether they should buy something, but how many of an item to buy. And so I came up with this rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is, um, uh, you know, when you're looking at an item, uh, buy that item from the manufacturer or that quantity of item, only if you know you can sell it in X days or less, where X is equal to the gross profit percent times the number of days in a year. And then I kind of simplified it even more and just by way of example. So let's say you're looking at a uh, electronic keyboard that sells for a thousand bucks. And let's say your cost is $750, including shipping. So if you look at 750 over a thousand, that's a 75% cost or 25% gross profit margin. You're going to make $250 on a thousand dollar sale. All you have to do is take that percentage, 25%, multiply it times the number of days in the year. And I always tell everybody, round it to 360. Don't worry about 365. So you can do the math easy. So 25% of 365 is 90 days. So the, the question is simply, if you know that you for sure can sell that keyboard, that electronic keyboard, in 90 days or less, buy it. But if you know it's going to take you longer, for sure, it's going to take you longer, don't buy it. Or don't buy it in the quantity that you're looking at. Buy it in a quantity that comes under that that uh, those number of days. And I use another. I use two other examples just to sort of drive it home. You look at an acoustic piano that's selling for twenty grand. That's going to cost you ten grand. That's a that's ten thousand dollars of gross profit dollars or fifty percent margin. Fifty percent times three hundred sixty days is one hundred eighty days. So I basically say, look, okay, if you know that you're going to achieve at least a fifty percent margin, I'll give you half a year to move it. But by on the other extreme, and this is my last example, if you're looking at a package of guitar strings that sell for $10 and it's going to cost you $9 and you're going to make a dollar on $10 sale or 10%, um, 10% times 360 days is 36 days. If all you're going to make is 10%, you better be moving it in 36 days or less. And there's your perfect formula to um, look at margin percent against time you know basically how much time do i have to sell this item given the margin that i'm going to achieve I, so I because hot, in, 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 invariably start burning yeah, invariably longer right right and you because you have these people that you know have i always like to have people in the audience they go how many people can think of any product in your store you've had for at least a year how about two years you know and they're proud you can get of up it. to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one are. person, John Bon Jovi's coming in one day. Right. Right, right. 
Well, but so I've seen people with five beers. And we will, if I can just. Musicians are hopeful people. Retailers are hopeful people. You know, a woman's a fashion a fashionista. She knows I've got several uh, upscale uh, clients here in the upstate New York and Texas and Florida. They're absolutely optimistic. Absolutely, I can sell it. But so what do I do? There I am. I've got my 20,000. I'm trying to remember all of your, your analyticals are so detailed. I hope yeah. it's like a Rorschach test. But... So I've got my $20,000 piano. I thought I would sell in six months because that's what Alan told me. And it's now eight months later. So do I start whittling it down and putting it on sale? Do I say, hell no, I paid five. For, I've got to get five for this. Meanwhile, that thing takes up, let's face it, serious amount of money, a serious amount of space that and money, theoretically and should be, right? So what would you tell them to start doing? I think there's a there's a pecking order. Um, you don't have to immediately go to discounting the product, but um, there's there's a couple of things that you can do beforehand. You can re-merchandise the item, um, have an event. Uh, there's a variety. Have a clinic, you know, where you're demoing that item. There's a lot of things to bring. Spiff the you can do to spiff the salespeople. The salespeople. There's a thousand bucks yeah. you sell this. Yeah. Yeah. It works. And Daniel, I mean, Daniel worked in retail for how many years were you in? It, 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 almost at, 10 uh, years. Yeah. And so we, he's and lived, he's lived it. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly what we had to do. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it was very much a fluid process between the purchasing of inventory and the people that were um, selling the inventory, because you could get in, you could buy the best deal of anything. Cause there's always people selling, you know, the, the pallet specials, but if your salespeople wouldn't get behind it and sell it, the pallet just sat there in the corner and just became, you know, just pallet dust. And so it would, you'd have to do that. And sometimes, you know, the purchasing people would make a bad buy and you have to spend for people to move it. It's, it's all about the communication chain and, and people, you know, getting excited about the product, but you, you talk about if you're going to drop $20,000 for a piano, I can tell you all of our piano retailer dealers that do that, they're out actively, you know, pursuing those items. And, and Bob, that gets a lot more difficult for what we like to call a combo store or a band and orchestra store. Both of those people, when you're talking about print music and all these accessories like picks and reeds, and there's just so many items, there could be a hundred thousand items in a music store that they can't keep their eye on like they could a $20,000 high end piano. But, um, but that's that exactly. We'll come back to that. Hold that thought. We'll come back to that. So before we continue, we love our loyal listeners. So if you do me a favor, give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube if you're watching the video. I'd appreciate it. And we're going to return after this word from SalesRx Online Retail Sales Training. Hey, it's Bob again. I'm not only your host, but also the founder of the SalesRx Online Retail Sales Training Program. How many sales that should have been yours walked out your front doors today? You know, with shoppers being more discerning about where and when they shop, you need to convert more lookers to buyers. And SalesRx is the perfect solution to make training memorable. It's bite-sized and can fit easily into your schedules. Don't tell me you don't have time to train. If you can give them time to take a break, you have time for them to train. Now, the training builds from some of the quickest ways to engage shoppers to the most advanced. Everything is planned so you can implement your sales training program with a click of a button. And there's a reason we're on four continents training thousands because SalesRx is scalable. Everybody learns the same new skills that will grow your sales. 
In fact, 83% of users report a double-digit increase in their sales within six months. Wouldn't you like that to be your story? Visit SalesRx to learn more and set up a call with me to see how we can help. That's S-A-L-E-S-R-X.com. Now back to the broadcast. All right, and we're back with Alan Friedman and Daniel Job talking about open to buy and margins and what do we do if it doesn't sell? So, Daniel, to complete that thought, um, it is a bit of a dance, but I think the challenge for an awful lot of retailers is um, you've got to have good POS to be able to ID what isn't, right? So when you buy it, you can set out these markers that it will tell you, hey, something's going on. But to your point, that's a lot to manage, even with the automation you can get from within um, your POS. I'm hoping that AI is, I'm going to be able to just say, computer, tell me what are our worst performing SKUs and give me three ways I can help get rid of them. And it's going to be like, boom, like that, yeah. not that far away, right? So what right. would you, um, what do you do when you've got all of these little parts and you know, the owner's the only one that usually knows margin. Your your salespeople certainly don't. They might on the big stuff, but they're not thinking about we got to sell more strings. But to your point, you've got to build that basket no matter what you sell. Right. I think the big thing is to cl- to close that gap with uh, you know your. I think a lot of salespeople, because of the point of sale systems, they do know margin on most items. But even having items per sale goal for your sales staff, I think that's huge because that's exactly how those add-on sales as people are walking with the guitar. You can't just walk out with a guitar. You got to have a what a strap, a picks, a, you know, or Alan have, would have to walk out with three guitars because one just wouldn't do it. So you'd have to get two more. But a trombone player would just walk out with one trombone and maybe you know maybe a, a posh cloth or something. But you have to add on. I mean, that's a big thing to do. And, and, and you're, you're exactly right that it, it, it's still tragic when, when people call. We get a lot of calls of people calling saying, hey, I'm having cash flow problems. Can you look at my, you know, can you give me some help? And it's like, yeah, okay, send me over a, a financial statement. Yeah, I, I, I don't get those from my account, but once a year. Oh, okay. Well, can you send me over like a, um, do you, you have a, a profit and loss, anything? No. Okay. Well, Okay. Well, can you send me over an inventory list? Man, I just really haven't gotten around to getting my inventory in. Well, all three of those answers are pretty bad answers, especially in the year 2023, because it, it is a art of, we're in an AI world. Um, Alan wants to ignore that we're in an AI world, but we are in an AI world. And, and if you don't have those, you know, those simple building blocks of things ready to go, you really don't know what's selling, what's not selling. But I would still say, I mean, probably two out of every 10 calls I get, they, they are still not, uh, these are music retail stores in 2023 that are not um, running things through a point of sale system. And I just don't even have a clue how in the yeah, world I they're think, functioning. These. But see, I think that's kind of it, Daniel. And that's not necessarily just musicians. That's uh, a lot of retailers. Oh, I don't need all this, right? Or, oh, I've got, a, I've got it on our servers. I'm like, when did you install this? Oh, in the 80s. And you're like, do you still have the phone from the 80s? Like yeah. it's almost a willingness not to want For example, we do, I do online retail sales training program and it's very extensive. It takes five or six months. And the end of it, we say you should order mystery shops. Yeah. And you'd be shocked the pushback you get. It's almost like, well, I don't really want to know that much. And that's kind of the same thing, right? Like if I don't print it out, I don't have to worry about it. But, right. but to your point, by the time they call you that, can you help me? Um, 
without those markers, you don't even know where the boat is in the water. Right. Right. Which is why it's sinking. I mean, it's not like, oh, that's a mystery. You're doing great. We just don't know it. Right. It's like, oh, I can see exactly what happened. You're sitting on merch that's 10 years old and it's gathering dust, which is impacting your open to buy, which is a great place for one of you to explain. Do I need an open to buy? What's the easiest way to figure it? And do you think I have to have it on every vendor or is it a category or what? Alan, you can go first. Well, I'm okay. As long as I'm short. Okay. Well, I want to just touch upon something you said earlier and then I'm going to answer your question. Um, When you talked about the piano and the space that it takes up and you said in the money, you know, when you, there's, there's a, it's been proven over and over again um, by inventory management professionals that when you buy an item on January 1st for a thousand bucks, if that item is sitting around for a year for an entire year, that item has probably cost you about, about $1,300 It is about a 30% addition of cost. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, obviously if it's been sitting around for a year, you've had to, um, tune it, Dust clean it, it yeah. re-merchandise it. The rent it's taking up. If you allocated the rent, you know, for the space of that item, um, the tracking of that item, the manpower to count it in a physical inventory, you add up all those costs. That's not a thousand dollars. And God forbid you had to you put it on floor planning or you borrowed from the bank to pay for it. Well, there's an interest cost. So a thousand dollar item that's been sitting around for a year is now costs you thirteen hundred dollars. So that's why. Stop just for a second. That's yeah. very counterintuitive because we often think that I bought this thing, it's just going down. And what you're saying to us is, no, 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 kids, the cost is going up. And that's very different. The price you can get for it's going down, but the Correct. every day it sits there is going up. It's eating a it's a it, cancer in your wallet that you're not even aware right. of until the that's end right. when you're spending getting sixty percent of what you paid for it. Right. Now, as that price, that market price does come down, obsolescence will do that. New products that come out, as something's out of fad. As that price comes down and as your cost goes up, your, your profit's getting crushed quickly. And so that's why we're always of the, okay, you should be buying in, you know, in terms of 30, 60, 90 days. That, that's basically the general time frame, which never happens in the music retailing industry. I mean, it does with some products. Some of the accessory product moves very, very fast. Daniel's done a whole analysis of this. When you look at the whole pie of inventory, you've probably got two-thirds of your inventory is moving really slowly. But the other one-third, like accessories, and, uh, and which tend to be higher margin product, are moving so fast, it's making up for the sins of the other two, three, uh, two, two-thirds of, uh, of your inventory. So... You know, when you start looking at that um, and you start measuring it and you start looking at the opportunity, there's an opportunity cost of not having, you know, you're taking vital cash, converting it to inventory, which is an illiquid asset, still an asset until you sell it. The idea is to convert it back to cash with some profit. And so the longer it takes to do that, you're not only running the risk of, of shrinking that profit because of the cost I just talked about, you're also missing opportunities to, to, for alternate use of that cash, yeah, no, whether it be exactly to pay down right. debt, to remodel the store, whatever, those exactly kinds of things. Right. So Daniel, how do I know, for example, it's time for me to add a line? Because that's the most well, common I, thing I think independents do. 
is we say, oh, uh, I'm selling this, so I'll be able to sell this. And in your and, and you can make a case for it. I mean, you yep. can make a case for anything. We should carry water heaters because they all use water, right? You're like, well, yeah, okay. but they're not looking to us for that. But if you were in the water he- heater business or whatever the product is, there would be markers that would say, yeah, it's not a matter yeah. of it's getting more of the same. You need to diversify. So any thoughts on that, Dan, you can add? Yeah, I just had I had a couple of people email me last week. I think vendors are back out now as things are adjusting and they're looking for, you know, people to take on the lines. And and the first question I always ask it, I know it sounds redundant, but I asked this person last week in email, I said, Okay, so how does this fit into the master plan of your branding? You know, when you look at your branding, it is a, I, I'll give you an example. This one just blew my mind. This was probably about 10 years ago. You remember when ukuleles got hot? I mean, some people call them ukulele the other way they say it, but I call it ukulele. Ukulele, sure. Ukulele, right, yeah. ukulele. So I literally I took a call one day from a person that was a, it was a piano dealer. And they said, Dana, I want to bounce something off you. I said, shoot, what do you got going? And they said, we're going to take on ukuleles. And they like, we're, we're, it's amazing. We can buy a hundred ukuleles and it's less than the price of one of our pianos. It's going to be great. And I, I just asked them one question. I said, so the person that's coming in to buy a ukulele, are they going to make a left turn and go buy the grand piano from you? And they were like going, no, that's never going to well, happen. It's a new and customer, like, Daniel. It's yeah. A new customer will attract, right? I know. <laughs> I know. But we, we always tell people, you can't, you know, we keep, you can't be everything to everybody. But I think, Bob, to answer your question, it goes back to, you know, like the, the person I was speaking with last week, I, you know, it was a, it was a, a combo shop and it was a guitar line they were looking at carrying. I said, you know, is this going to, is this, are you just going to shuffle sales from one to the other? Are you going to add sales? Are you going to, do you have a plan where you're going to move this stuff? Are you going to track the, track the GMRI? That's one of the things we like to track is if you track the GMRI. Yeah. Yeah. Gross margin return on investment. And we like to look at that as your investment in your inventory because the music store's um, biggest asset, generally speaking, is their inventory. So you figure that by you just look at your annual profit on that inventory line. So let's say you have a line of guitars that you're selling. You say, well, what's my profit from that guitar, uh, from that line of guitars for a year divided by what's your average inventory to carry it? So if you look at your beginning and ending inventory, let's say you had a buy-in of 25000 and that's what you're carrying. Well, you just look at your profit over that number and that gives you what your GMRI is. And we found that a healthy GMRI is over a dollar fifty. Um, basically, is a healthy GMRI to have, and um, and and, and you, again, you when a when a person calls me and talks to me about taking online, the first thing I do is pull up their financials and say, well, how's your GMRI doing? Are we having inventory problems? If it's a person that has, as Alan said earlier, if you have no debt, if you've got great inventory turns, great inventory management, and you can take on the line, and it would just it would just allow you to flourish within the brand and who you've identified as your customer. It's two thumbs up for me, man. Well, it's really I, good. I think I want to go back and we are running out of time, but I think the thing that's so important for everybody is those three markers you said of knowing, you know, the inventory, knowing you're buying how much you're going to buy and be able to move through it, not wish it. Oh, I guess yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then there's a third one too. I think you had to, you could replay the podcast to get them all three, but Without those three markers, you should never be doing any of these things. Would you support that? That that big. I totally support that. Yeah. Now you're buying from your gut, and you're saying, "Well, my kid likes ukuleles, and her friends like ukuleles. Therefore, it makes sense." You're like, you're you're talking yourself into this because they 
had a nice booth or they whatever. I think it's rare in this day and age. And, uh, you know, I won't even get into the um, aftermarket online. Let's face it, musicians are cheap. They don't yeah. make a lot on their gigs, right? So you really yeah. have to think about, do you want to be all things to all people? Or do you want to say, I'm going to be, you know, for uh, schools and local talent, but also I'm going to be the premium that can also get the DJ and the other ideas. And I'm always going to be thinking about how to build that basket. That's a very different mindset than I'm going to buy this merch like I'm buying milk or I'm buying lettuce and I'm going to buy it, and then it's just going to sell itself. I think you either work the system uh, or you don't. Either you have the tools to understand what the system is and go, I'm in trouble, or you get help. So uh, what would you think if uh, I'm going to turn this to both of you before we get off here? Um, so I've been listening to you for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. I'm thinking, holy crap, these guys know a lot more than I do, and I think I might be in trouble. What should they do? Should they chuck it all? Should they, what is it? What's the baby step to, obviously they have to call you, which you can find that episode link, but what, how do they get their ducks in, in, in line? I'm going to start with Daniel and then Alan. Okay, great. No, I think the, um, the easiest way to get your duck in line is first of all, I, the first thing I would do is get a report and look at your oldest inventory and things that you know you would never buy. They were buying mistakes you made. You've just never broken up. You so got to turn that to stop cash. right there. I want you to be very specific. What do you want them to do? Do you, do they go through and look at the inventory? Because let's face it, I don't have if I don't have all the reports, I don't have product. Data. Okay. So okay, good question. Good question. We'll take it. I was assuming they had reports. I was assuming I'm they would. Say, I want everybody to be in the tent with us. So. Okay. If you have a report, I'll make it this simple. We'll go to both camps. How about that, Bob? For one camp, if you have a report, run a report. If you've had it over a year, do something with it. Move it to the front, mark it down, put it online, turn that turn that illiquid asset into cash. That would be for those that have a report. If you don't have a report, maybe your metric is looking at how much dust is on an item. Look at the dustiness of it. Move the dustiness to the front. Turn that into cash because it's been there for too long. That's that's great. Instead of just dusting it, that's the difference. Yeah, don't dust it. Move it. So, and, and again, if you've got product that you don't know what the dating is, it, you know, today you could put a little sticker on the back, a color code, yeah. anything that shows this is what August of 2023 looked like. And then when you look at that in January, you're like, holy crap, it'll be easy. So, again, yeah. it'd be great if you had a full featured POS. That's several thousands of dollars. It's a lot to get going. We're getting into the holidays. It's probably not going to happen before the end of the year. But you could, that's what I want you to all be listing today is, what could I do to take action? So thanks, Daniel. What would you say, Alan? Um, don't get into the bad position in the first place. And so it all starts with the buying. Um, what, what Daniel is suggesting is absolutely accurate and what you should do had you made mistakes in the buying. And every retailer is going to make mistakes. It's a game of educated guessing. But there are a couple of principles. They're very easy to follow so you don't get yourself into that position of being over-inventory with product you can't sell. And there's four questions that I want every retailer to ask themselves. when they're. Here you go. Four easy questions. You're looking at a product, ask yourself this. Is this something my customer wants? If you get a yes, Ask yourself the second question. Will I make a profit? The answer is something greater than a dollar. Great. Get to number three. How quickly can I sell it? 30, 60, 90 days. Awesome. Anything over, forget it. Number four, how quickly do I have to pay for it? 
because if you have to pay for it before you sell it, you have what we affectionately call negative cash flow. You follow those four principles of buying, you'll find the managing of inventory, which is what Daniel's talking about, a lot easier. The managing of inventory is recognizing you have a problem and knowing how to fix it. But try not to get yourself in that position in the first place by buying smarter. All right, I'm going to challenge you both on this then. So my my sales rep is awesome. Daniel trained him. And he's in here with discounts. And he says, I give you dating. You'll have 120 days to sell this before the finance charges and everything else come in play. Does that impact your four questions we ask, Alan, or not? Yeah, I'm gonna. Can I answer, Daniel? Daniel, I'll give you a very quick yeah. one, and I'll let Daniel. So there was an order that I told you those four questions, and they were for a very good reason. If you can get through the first three questions with a positive answer, yes, my customers want it. Yeah, I'll make a decent profit, and yes, I can move it in 30, 60, 90 days. I'm kind of okay with you buying the product. The fourth question is still important. How quickly do I have to pay for it? Because if cash is tight or you have limited resources, you have to get the dating out of your out of your vendors. I'm okay if you, you know, if you can say, yeah, okay, yes, my customers want it. Yes, I'm going to make a profit. Eh, it's going to take me six to nine months to move all this. I can move it all, but it's going to take me six to nine months. Great. Get six to nine months out of your vendors to pay for it. That's question number four. I, I would just add that I think it's just so important um, that when you're putting this all together, that you are realizing that it's up to you. <laughs> that yeah. you know, uh, a lot of times I think people get enamored with a product. We use it. A friend has said it. We read it in a trade. Maybe that's your market. Maybe you're reading it because the trend has already come and gone. But I just want to get uh, my only thing I would add to all that is: can we just stop wishful buying? Can we just stop wishful buying? You know, I could have been an actor. Could have been. If you'd gone to acting school and had talent and looked like Brad Pitt, but you don't, <laughs> right? So it's that same thing that, yeah, it sounds great. I could in the best of all possible what I can. But I think uh, on, on the other side, I do believe you should take educated risk using those four questions. And I really appreciate both of you joining us here today. The title of our podcast is Tell Me Something Good About Retail. So, uh, Daniel, tell me something good about retail and then, Alan, before we go off. Well, retail is still great. I think it's, it's the conduit uh, to give people um, that love music, that want an introduction to music. We're still selling. Like, There's plenty of people that are selling commodities and things they need, but music is still, it's still it connects both sides of your brain. And it's, uh, it, it really gets into the creative side. So even when I was working in retail and you talk to people, they, they love giving those kids their first instrument, whether it's a guitar or band instrument, it's, that's, that's something good about retail. You're giving somebody the opportunity to make music, which I think is just totally awesome. Excellent. Good luck with the next one, Alan. What do you, what do you say? Well, tell me something good about retail. Uh, I'm, I'm going to repeat something that the president, uh, he just left uh, as president, former president of NAM said, Joe Lamont. Um, there was music before I was born, back to the earliest of recorded uh, history. There's music throughout my lifetime, and there's a probably a high likelihood there's going to be music when I'm grade A fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So um, knowing that there's always going to be music, and knowing that it is a very passionate, fun industry to be in. I think that being in the business of music retailing can be a lot of fun and very rewarding. And you can actually 
make money at it and have a great, um, you know, uh, uh, lifestyle by virtue of it. Just follow these principles of uh, these financial principles, these inventory buying principles, and and um, and life will get better. It, that's there's something good about retailing, especially music retailing. That's very good. Well, I appreciate our guests, Alan Friedman and Daniel Job, talking to us today. And uh, again, we're getting ready for the holidays. So remember, you got some work to do. Doesn't matter. Take one step from what you heard today and take action with it. I'm Bob Bibbs, The Retail Doc. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com. 